Can we give it up for God one more time? Man, what an amazing song, right? Um, well, good morning. Welcome to Cross Life East. Are you guys excited to be here this morning? Awesome, awesome. Well, Pastor Doug isn't here this morning, as you can see. He is in Missouri um, visiting some family. But if you've been here for the past few weeks since Easter, we've been in an, a series called The Unsolved Mysteries. And during this series, we've kind of been talking about the mysteries of the kingdom, right? And we've been defining the word mystery as this, um, when there's more than what meets the eye. And so last week, we took a look at the parable Jesus tells about the wheat and the weeds. And the mystery there was kind of that we couldn't tell the difference between the wheat and the weeds until it was time for harvest. Um, and so tonight, or to this morning, we are going to talk about a, um, something that's very real in our world, and we're going to talk about the mystery of suffering. Um, and so suffering is, is all around the world we live in, uh, right? It's everywhere we turn, just turn on the news, and there always seems to be a new tragedy that hits. Um, remember, earlier this year, we had the Parkland shoot. A few years ago, we had Maria, Hurricane Maria, and some of us went without power for days or maybe even a week. But Port people in Puerto Rico went without power for 11 months. Can you imagine living without electricity for 11 months? No, that'd be crazy, right? Um, so with hurricanes and natural disasters like this hit, whole cities are wiped away and people have to start over. Um, but we don't just suffer on a global scale, right? We don't just suffer as humanity, but we suffer personally too. Um, and so we all face things or go through challenges in our life that call, cause us pain and cause us to endure times that aren't pleasant. Um, and so for some of us, that might be, you know, our workplace. Some of us, we don't like our job, but we go because it pays the bills. It's something that we just feel like we have to do. Uh, some of us, I got a few amens there. Some of us, you know, suffer. We may enjoy our job, but we feel like we work tirelessly and endlessly and nobody sees what we do, right? And, and then some of us, maybe that's... Um, a health issue. When I was a sophomore in high school, um, my family went th kind of through a, a health issue. My grandmother began to go into kidney failure, and she had to go into kidney dialysis. And so at that time, she began to have to hook up every night to a machine um, just to stay alive. And so my family went through this kind of suffering where, and she's a bold and she's a strong woman, but, and she didn't tell us this, but you can definitely tell it for her, the personal suffering of having to physically hook up to a machine to live. All right, or for her, the emotional suffering of having to miss out on family moments because at seven at night, seven in, in the evening, she'd have to go and be confined to a room. And so many times she wasn't able to have dinner with us at the table. She wasn't able to be there when we would go and have band concerts or my sister would have a gymnastics meet. And so there's not only personal suffering in this world and physical suffering in this world, but there's emotional suffering, right? Some people have been in relationships that have been abusive or one-sided, right? And that not only physical suffering there, but emotional suffering. Um, and so for my grandma, it was just a hard time for our whole family. And for many years, she suffered this way. Maybe that's your story. Maybe that's your suffering. You have a health issue that causes you to miss out on things, causes you to not be able to do things with your family that you want to do or be with people that you want to be with. Um, and so maybe some of you lost a suffer or have lost a loved one, somebody unexpectedly, and it's left a void in your life that seems unfillable. But no matter, the truth is this morning that no matter who we are, despite our race, our age, our gender, our color, we all suffer. I'm suffering and we go through these agonizing things. For me personally, my story of suffering happened when I was 10 years old. I'm in 2007. I was in fourth grade um, and I, at the time I lived with my mom. Her name is Heather. She was a single mom and she supported me and my sister by working three jobs throughout the week and going to school to be a nurse. And so often because she worked three jobs, um, it was often and it was um, a lot of times we would stay with my grandparents during the week because my grandma worked in my school. 
So it was easy for us to stay there and for her to take us to school the next morning. And so um, early, late January, early February of that year, um, my mom became sick. But I didn't really notice, you know, because as I said before, it was really often for us to stay with my grandparents. But I didn't realize how sick she was until one day I got picked up from school on February 7th by my aunt. And my aunt took me to her house, and she took me to her backyard, and she said, Elijah, your mom's in the ICU. Um, and at the time, I didn't know what that meant, um, but I knew it wasn't good. And she said, your mom has been sick, and um, we don't know if she's going to make it through the night. And so um, she ended up having, she had a, a disease or um, an infection that ended up deteriorating her body inside out. And so the doctors couldn't figure out how to deal with it, and they didn't know what to do or how to stop it. And so it spread exponentially. Um, and so that night, we went to the hospital, and my mom passed away. And so you can imagine, as a 10-year-old boy, right, in the fourth grade, who belonged to a single mom, it kind of felt like the rug was pulled out from under me. Have you guys ever been there in that moment, where it feels like the rug has been pulled out from under you? Yeah. I mean, I felt loneliness like I'd never felt lonely before, and I felt abandoned. And I know that wasn't her fault. I knew that, but for some reason, I couldn't help that I felt that way. And so maybe that's your story. Maybe you loved one, too. Um, and so what do we do when the night seems at its darkest, right? Where do we move on when we feel in this tunnel of darkness and we, and we, see, we think we see a light, but it just feels like another train, you know? Um, and so today we're going to look at this, and I want to dive in um, to Matthew chapter 14. Uh, hopefully the scripture's on the screen, and this is what it says. It's Matthew 14, verses 1 through 12, and it says this. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people, because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded to be given, and sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother, and the disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. And so this, this story is about the death of John the Baptist, told in a perspective where it's kind of already happened. Um, and we see that in this story, that Herod has John bound because John is pointing out the sin in his life, and he does it for the sake of Herodias. He has him bound and put in prison, and then later on his birthday, Herodias' daughter dances before him. He becomes pleased, and he says, I'll give you whatever you want. Some of the other gospels give an account that Herod says, I'll give you whatever you want, even to measuring up to half my kingdom. And so being um, positioned, propositioned by her mom and being nudged by her mom, she says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And this is the one thing Herod didn't want to do, but he felt bound by oath because he announced it in front of everybody that he must do that. And so he beheads John the Baptist and gives it to her as a gift. And so this morning there are two things that we'll see about suffering um, from this passage. But I think to really break this down, to see the truth behind the mystery, we need to look at some of the characters. And so we have Herod. Herod's first character in the story. And we see the name Herod. And we kind of tend to think or associate Herod with um, the time of Jesus' birth right? The King Herod at that time, that's the different King Herod. And so that King Herod from Jesus' birth had three sons. And so this is one of those sons, and his name is Herod Antipas. And so Herod Antipas 
was kind of a tetrarch is what the scripture says. And so when we look deeper in the passage, um, we see that we'll see his suffering as well. He doesn't really suffer outwardly as John suffers, but his suffering is inward. But when we look at him, right, he's a tetrarch, so we see a powerful man within the Roman government. So he ruled one-fourth of the Rome's land, and he ruled the area of Galilee and Perea. Um, and so it's kind of safe to say that he kind of lives this comfortable life and not much need of anything. And I think in our lives, a lot of us typically try to strive to achieve this area in our lives, right? We think, man, if I could just get that job, I'll be good. If I could just make this much, right? Or if I could just be with this person, man, my life would be no stress, no worries, and I won't suffer. In the story, Herod is suffering worse than John. Herod is suffering from fear because he fears the weight of his actions, and he fears what people will think of him. He left his own wife to marry the wife of his brother, and so he's a paranoid and afraid of John because, and people like him because John is righteous and John is pointing out his sin. And Herod, because people like John, he's afraid to behead him. He's afraid to kill him. And so Herod's afraid of what people think of him. He's a people pleaser. Um, and, so he, and so we see this moment where he, instead of killing John, he has him arrested, and then later he beheads him. But he's afraid at that time that the people are going to rebel. But he's also afraid that he can't live up to his word. He has to live up to his oath, right? He can't be a ruler. He can't be a king who says one thing and proclaims this in front of everybody and then backs down for being too afraid. So he's kind of in this catch-22. He's afraid of John and his righteousness and what the people think. And he's afraid of not following through on his oath. And so all this suffering is kind of crippling him on the inside. And even though he seems fine on the outside, it all culminates to this point where John is beheaded. And I kind of bet after this moment, after John was beheaded, he might have felt this point of relief, right? Oh, my problem's done. I don't have to deal with John anymore. John's gone. I fulfilled my oath. You know, it's okay. But then imagine his fear when he thinks Jesus is John resurrected, right? His fear doesn't just kick back up. It multiplies exponentially. And so he's afraid of John's righteousness. And so maybe this morning you can relate, we can relate to Herod a little bit. We can relate to Herod on the fear um, of the outside of what people think of us. Um, fearing that they don't like us or they think we're not good at our job. Maybe like Herod, we were feeling everything is collapsing. Or you're just trying to move on from your sin like he was. But I can tell you that plan, as we see, didn't work for Herod. He p- began to fear again, even though John wasn't re- resurrected. And so that plan won't work for us either. We can't just move on. And so let's look at Herodias. And so Herodias was originally the wife of Herod's brother, Philip. Um, and, so, and so she divorced Philip to be with Herod. And so Herodias kind of seems in the passage to be a background character in this section of scripture, but she me- seems like she is controlling everything to me. Um, see, it was for the sake of Herodias that Herod had John bound. And because John was pointing out the sin in both their lives, and this shows how manipulative Herodias is and how powerful and prideful she is. And so much like Herod, she wants to avoid um, her sin and not really hear about it. But the difference between those two is that Herod cares what people think and, and cares about John's life, and Herodias doesn't. Um, she, eventually, she even manipulates her own daughter to get what she wants. But Herodias does all this in a way that nobody really knows it's her. Um, and I believe that Herodias is suffering from pride, and this pride leads her to be resentful. She is mad at John because he pointed out her flaws, something, he, and something she's done wrong. And so she has Herod in prison, but that isn't enough for her. She is mad and resentful, enough to the point to have him beheaded. And so can you see how her pride leads her to her anger? Um, and she didn't rest until John was beheaded because he was just pointing out the sin in her life and trying to tell her the truth. This morning, some of us are suffering from pride. 
and resentment. Angry with someone because they have told you something you did wrong and you know they're right. Um, see what the problem was with Herodias' pride. Oh, thank you. Um, see, so, do I, okay. So you see the problem with Herodias' pride was that it was getting in the way of her seeing. It was getting in the way of her seeing, I don't know, seeing what John was trying to point out in her life, right? Um, and so this is the problem with it. If you didn't hear me, her problem was that her pride led her to not being able to, um, and being resentful and closed off to the truth in her life. And so when somebody tries to help you and correct you, do you become resentful to them? Uh, and do you get angry with them? Maybe, sure, I'm sure you don't have them beheaded, right? Um, but maybe you do sometimes push them away, or maybe you cut them out of your life just because they're trying to tell you something you don't want to hear. Um, and this suffering that Herod and Herodias endure is all internal, um, but it's also eternal. And this is our first point that there is an eternal suffering. There is an eternal suffering, and this is because they have no hope. This is where their suffering differs from that of John. The person that we would automatically look to in the passage, right, is John. We see John being beheaded. So let's go ahead. We're going to look at him. And so looking at the story, like we said, we automatically see John as the one who suffers. John becomes the victim of a giant political situation in which he did nothing to cause. And we see that he's the victim. Because of this, he's been captured, he's been chained, kept in a jail, and then eventually beheaded when Herod gets tricked. And so why? Why? Because, and so we feel unfair about this, right? If we're honest, I think we feel unfair about John's beheading because we don't think John had anything to do with this. John was just trying to point truth into Herod and Herodias' life. And so why do we feel unfair about this? Well, it's because John was a righteous man, right? I mean, this is, John has been faithful to God. I mean, this is John the Baptist. This is the man who was the prophet of God. The man who years before Jesus ever came on the scene stood in front of the people and said, repent. This is the man who even had the extremely high honor of baptizing Jesus himself. And so what does this tell us about suffering? It tells us that suffering is inevitable even for the faithful. Even for the faithful. It's almost guaranteed for the faithful. Um, And John lived his life believing that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. And John... For the scripture, scripture wasn't just a set of rules to him to follow or not to follow, but um, scripture was a way of life. John lived his life in light of the gospel. And since he lived his life for the gospel, he suffered for the gospel. Because of the gospel and his belief in Jesus as the Messiah, though his suffering was only temporary. It's only temporary. Why? Not because John was beheaded and his pain ended, um, but because there's... And not because his physical suffering was over, um, but because of his hope for the things to come. Hope that this wasn't the end of the life, end of his life, but the beginning of his eternity. If you're a believer in here this morning and you're suffering, then this is your hope too. This is your hope. We as believers should know and we should recognize that our pain and our suffering is only temporary. That as believers, we put our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he suffered, on our, he suffered for our sins on a cross. And that any suffering we endure is nothing compared to what he went through. And that Jesus suffered so that one day, one day we would never have to. And this is how John lived his life. He walked in this hope. John spoke with this hope. He lived with this hope as his reality, and he lived with an eternal mindset. And so Romans 8, 18 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And this is an internal mindset. This is how John lived. This is how John thought. 
that are suffering our pains as a believer are not even comparable. Not even comparable to what is waiting for us in heaven. Right? Not even comparable to the glory that is to be revealed to us in heaven. And as a believer, isn't that kind of exciting? Right? That no suffering, no thing we endure on this earth can compare to what is waiting for us as in eternity in heaven. Right? So what happens to us? What happens to us when we stop living when we stop living in the now and start living with an eternal mindset? How do our lives change? Even though we still suffer, hurtful words won't mean as much. Circumstances and situations won't cause us to doubt. And the power of death will lose its sting. Let me say that again. Let's get excited about it. The power of death will lose its sting. And that's exciting. Because when we think about an eternity spent with Jesus, all other things disappear. All other things seem minuscule. Suffering does not matter because it's just the beginning of our eternity. And so looking at the lives and the suffering of both Herod and Herodias, we see that all their suffering was inward, right? Their suffering wasn't physical. Physically, they, they seem to be okay. Oh, suffering physically, they seem to be okay, right? Outwardly, they look great. But they're suffering on the inside from fear and from pride. In the end, Herod was still suffering. I mean, we saw that in Matthew 14, verse 1, right? He, he became fearful again when he thought Jesus was John resurrected. So he was still suffering. And Herodias was suffering from her pride. She even manipulated her own daughter to get what she wanted. And she orchestrated the beheading of a man. And John, John's suffering was outward, and it was physical, but it was also temporary because he had hope in his eternal life. And so his beheading, again, wasn't the end of his suffering, but the beginning of his eternity. And so John knew this, and he lived with this mentality, and so he had nothing to fear. And, but this is not the same for Herod and Herodias. Herod's inward suffering of fear was just the beginning. And this is the same with Herodias. Her pride was just the beginning of her suffering. And the difference between John, Herod, and Herodias is that John believed and knew that Jesus was the Messiah, the promised son of God. And because of this, he knew that his eternity was secure in heaven. And this is why suffering was only temporary, and that while he suffered outwardly, he did not suffer inwardly. But this is not true for Herod and Herodias. There is no indication or record that they ever believed or came to know Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God. Uh, and this is why their inward suffering is so much greater than John's outward suffering. While they weren't beheaded, they had no hope. For them, there was no future promise of an eternity spent in peace. For them, their inward suffering of fear and pride was just the beginning. It kept them blind from the truth that John was trying to show them. And it led to them not only killing and beheading John, but it eventually led to their death and their eternal suffering apart from the grace of God. And so suffering is inevitable this morning. It comes in all shapes. It comes in all sizes. And no matter what it is, whether we are suffering outwardly or we are suffering inwardly, there is a way to have hope. For me, two or three years after I began my suffering, after um, my mom passed away and I went down this path of lowliness, I began to question now I begin to question, what's the point of life? I begin to question, where does it all lead? And during this time, Jesus found me, and I surrendered my life to him. And he brought me peace. He brought me acceptance. He brought hope. And since then, I've slowly stopped suffering of loneliness, and I no longer felt abandoned. And I begin to see the joy in life. And let me be honest, suffering doesn't end when you become a Christian. Suffering doesn't end at all. For me, I still feel lonely, right? When I think about my future wedding, I won't be able to have a dance with my mom, right? This fall, I'll be graduating from UCF with a bachelor degree in psychology, and she won't be there to see it. 
And so, no, suffering doesn't go away. Um, but the point isn't that, it doesn't, that we don't suffer, but the point is that we know our suffering is only temporary. I know that my suffering leads to an eternity that is far greater than anything I could ever imagine or think of on this earth. And we all now knowing and realizing this morning that suffering is inevitable, my question for you is this, which is worse? And this is the mystery this morning. Which is worse? Is it the outward suffering of John, but the inward hope of John? Or is it the inward suffering of Herod and Herodias, but the outward life of pleasure? Which is worse? To live a life where you may seem good on the outside, but are crippling on the inside? Or to have a life like John where he, yes, he endured physical suffering to the point of death, but he had hope in what was to come? And as we close this morning, I just want to ask you to close your eyes, bow your heads. Um, I want you to reflect on your life. Um, I want you to think about if um, today if you're a Christian and you're in the room, I want you to think about your life and your suffering and ask yourself this question. Am I living my life with an eternal mindset? Am I looking at my suffering and resting and that it is only temporary and that I get to spend an eternity with Jesus? And if not, then today come to the altar and ask God to change that mindset to help you find peace in the promise he has given you. And if you aren't a Christian, can you see the lack of hope in your life? Can you feel it? Are you suffering and you feel it like it will never end? God saw and still sees humanity and suffering. And he loved us so much that he moved into action and he did something about it. He sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life free of sin, but to suffer and die on a cross for ours. So that we could be in right standing with him, God the Father. But God's redemptive plan didn't stop there. Jesus as the son of God dying for us paying our price for our sin, rose from the grave three days later, conquering sin and conquering death, declaring death, where is your sting? Having all authority in heaven and on earth being given to him so that one day we may have eternal life, so that we may have peace with him in heaven. And this, if you're a non-believer, this is where you find your hope, believing in Jesus and all that he did for you. If you want to do that this morning, there are some deacons who are going to be up front. I'll be up front and we would love to talk with you and help you make that decision. God, we love you. We thank you so much for the hope that we have in you, Jesus. For the hope that is anchored, anchored not in this suffering world, Lord, but in the eternity where there's no suffering and we will be with you. So God, I pray this morning that, Lord, if we're not living with an eternal mindset, Lord, that you lead us to that. God, you allow us to begin to see our life and our suffering is only temporary and is hopeful, God, of what is to come. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. The altar is open.